0: Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Weekend Review Podcast, recorded Friday, February the 11th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about Governor Hutchinson's push to expand the prison system, the Arkansas gerrymander trial in federal court, and the uh, GOP vote to declare the events of January 6th, legitimate political discourse, and the reaction in Arkansas. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. Afternoon. So the governor at his weekly press conference where he talks about COVID issues uh, made the focus this week about uh, the the need from his perspective for Arkansas to pretty substantially expand its, its prison uh, capacity. And the cost would be anywhere from 60 to 100 million dollars.
1: Yeah, and that's just to build the thing, I think. I mean, you'd have to staff all those new beds too. So, this is an ongoing, incredibly expensive commitment. Well, I thought it was, I think we're about to have a fiscal session. And I think the governor knows that on top of the billion dollar in surplus we're sitting on, the state's going to pile up probably another half billion in surplus in the fiscal year that ends June the 30th. And so, we've got some money for capital expenditures. Mm -hmm. But and, and this follows a orchestrated pressure campaign from county sheriffs to do something about their supposed crowded jails. And as I have complained about on the blog and, and, and have in the past, there was not a single word of mention by the governor at the legislative dog and pony show with the county sheriffs or by anybody in, in a position of power that I can find that. You don't necessarily immediately have to uh, deal with crowded jails and prisons by building more cells. And you know, as, and, and happily today to to justice reform groups, Decarcerate and uh, Arkansans for Justice Reform, I think their names are, issued a very thoughtful statement today that didn't do what I would have been prone to do, would say what a stupid bunch of MFers you are. And said that, you know, number one, building more cells in the prison will make a worse environment for a place that already has too many people in solitary and that perhaps we need to have some database review of whether we could open up space by other means, whether we ought to have a more meaningful rehabilitation program. All, all the sorts of things that justice reformers say, and, 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 and of all the states in all the world that ought applies. Arkansas, there's Arkansas is not, I don't think, a more criminal place than the rest of the world. But we have the fourth highest incarceration state in the United States. And we know for a fact that people like Tim Helder up in Fayetteville, who complains about how crowded his jail is and how many people more he wants to put in it, is bad to hold people in there. For all kinds of status offenses and not let them go. And we just had this incredible Supreme Court case decided this week in Arkansas. The day Hutchinson made his announcement, in which a justice reform group had tried to bring a class action case over the essential debtors' prison that operate in a lot of courts in Arkansas, but particularly in White County District Court, where you can just get in this hell of continuing incarceration with mounting fines that poor people can't pay. There's one guy who ended up spending 40 days in jail, essentially for not wearing a seat belt. Because he didn't pay the first fine and he couldn't pay the additional fines they slapped on him for not paying the first fine. And so he got sent to jail by the judge, as if somehow that was going to cure his inability to pay. A woman, a sole source mother of support for her family, spent 45 days in jail because she was prosecuted under the criminal eviction statute, the only state in America that, that Prosecutes people for being unable to pay their rent. So, I mean, I kind of get worked up about this and I, I, I waste my breath to a great degree because clearly we need bail reform, sentencing reform. We need to have diversion from incarceration for minor offenders. Simple marijuana possession shouldn't be cluttering up our jails, for example. But it's in Arkansas, it just uh, seems to be holy writ that that you know crime is just going to grow the jail population is just going to grow and that's just the way it is
0: well of course this is cyclical we 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 make we at least nod at reform and and it was uh, i believe in 2017 that uh that hutchinson uh Blast the, the reform package That was spearheaded by his nephew Jeremy Hutchinson who of course <laughs> Awaits son- <laughs> uh, But it Awaits prison it, it was it was A, a largely positive uh, Omnibus criminal bill and, and Hutchinson in the past Has said has said the right things About how we we can't We can't uh, yeah. Fix the criminal justice system By just building more beds But you know It, it there's, well,
1: there's... And, and that's why I really home, home in on this pressure from the local sheriffs. I mean, Hutchinson simply accepts that there are too many people backed up in those jails, and, and that's a problem. And that doesn't examine, you know, it used to be sheriffs like to get state prisoners because they could charge them a daily rate and kind of make some money off Well. A lot of them are stacked up with local offenders and and a lot of these people are people who are innocent in the eyes of the law. They have been arrested on a variety of often minor charges, often missed. Even the governor himself said we need to create space in these county jails for misdemeanor offenders. Do we really? I mean, do we do Do we really need to maintain expensive jails for misdemeanor offenders? Do we really? And particularly when you know how many of these are people that are simply can't afford to pay even a small bail because they're so poor. I mean, they're, they're, they're essentially being unconstitutionally denied bail and they're being denied lawyers because our public defender system sucks even when the judges are willing to appoint them, which some judges aren't, like the one in White County. And And so we're just, we're not looking at some of the root causes of these problems. And yeah, and I do agree that the governor kind of says the right things, but but he seemed to really be pandering to people who are not doing the right things in this announcement this week.
0: Okay. Well, we'll continue to watch this though with the state as flush as it is and, and, uh the, the state of our legislature, it'd say that this is, is likely headed to, to <clears throat> approval, but we'll stay on it. Uh, let's move on. And, no, this,
1: let's, this, is, this is, let me say, this is a state that believes if you just beat kids hard enough, it'll make them be good. And and this is that same point of view carried up to the adult level. And we get what we pay for in Arkansas with that kind of thinking.
0: All right, let's move on and talk about the uh, federal lawsuit that was filed uh, over Arkansas's recent legislative redistricting. Austin Bailey was in federal court uh, for, for much of, uh, I guess, for the end of last week and over the weekend and then early mm-hmm. this week. And, if you haven't read her coverage, I'd encourage you to.
1: Phenomenal job of coverage. She really captured, it, it was difficult testimony at times, some complicated stuff, but she really captured the essence of this case. In the essence of the case boiled down is pretty simple Republicans who control redistricting of the Arkansas House this year intentionally discriminated against Black populations. Because basically whites vote more often for Republicans than black people do, and they want to increase their numbers. They the the evidence was overwhelming. They have notes, written notes from a former Republican Party director about saying, let's make this district in South Arkansas whiter. Let's move those white people in there. They had a white state representative who rather proudly talked about how he shaped a district that made what had been a majority black district around Blyville, essentially a majority white district, <clears throat> even though his good friend, a, a black representative held the seat, because it'd be discriminating against white people if you preserve that black district. This is the new the new Republican theory that it's discriminating against white people to take race into account, even though the federal law and federal court precedent at this point, says you do need to take discrimination against black people into account. The attorney general's office was, was forced to admit that it misrepresented or lied about the representations made in court filings about the work of Andy Davis, who drew the lines for them, a former Republican legislator. He had to call out that it misrepresented what he said. He didn't take race into account until after the district lines were drawn. In other words, they didn't take it into account at all to speak of. The state attorney general's office also didn't understand that you were supposed to look at population based on voter eligible population, not just raw population. And this skewed the the numbers even further. They lied about the fact that the plan created more minority districts. It did not. It reduced the number. I mean, in some, the attorney general's office was either incompetent, dishonest or ineffectual in in, in in presenting a case. It didn't even offer closing arguments. It had, it really had nothing to argue except that it's just too late to make a change because the primaries in May. Well, there are two things about that. Number one, it used to be our primaries when are in August. There's plenty of time to delay the May primary and go back to work on this plan. But <clears throat> secondly, they also could take this plan this year and then come back and do it again next year. The most interesting development, I think, in the case were some comments made by the federal judge, Lee Rudofsky. This is a a federalist society, ultra-white, right-wing Republican, but extremely smart, I must say.
0: Well, he was and also I the longtime judge. solicitor uh, for the attorney General's right. office. He,
1: he was a former top deputy to one of the defendants, Leslie Rutledge, and he's a political campaign contributor to another defendant, Asa Hutchinson, and he refused to get off the case as requested by the ACLU, saying, It would not appear impartial for him to decide this case. Of course, it appears totally bad for him to to hear this case. But his comments at the end of the case were pretty interesting. I mean, I read them to read that that the ACLU presented a slam dunk case on the evidence. And and the state had just made a botch of things. But he said, you know, it's not entirely clear. Where the courts are going to end up being on this race issue? I mean, he pretty much said, yeah, you proved your race issue. But we had this crazy shadow docket decision by the U.S. Supreme Court this week that s- stopped them from redrawing Alabama congressional lines. Even though two Trump judges on a three-judge panel agreed that the lines discriminated against black people. And I think Rudowski is looking for a signal from God at the, Supreme, the new Republican Supreme Court. We're just going to throw that crap out the window. And so but I, but I, he, he acknowledges that he's guided by precedent and even precedent in the Eighth Circuit at this point seems to say you can't discriminate against black people in elections. Uh, he pretty clearly wants to, but he's not sure. The, I think it's going to be an interesting task for him to find a way to thread the needle. And give the Republican Party to whom he owes his job what it wants, which is districts that discriminate against black people and, and find some way to say it was OK. I mean, as I say, the attorney general's office just made such a hash of this case. I mean, their they're expert witness from North Carolina has no record in, in judging these matters. He's just a, a Republican partisan college professor from North Carolina who supported Trump and Ron DeSantis and knew nothing about anything. and, and and so couldn't prove anything for the state. The state also said that, well, the ACLU's alternative plan, they said, number one, it didn't have enough districts in it. It did. It said that uh, it split cities, and it split, uh, and, it, and, and their map split it even more of them. I mean, on every, every point they raised about the ACLU, their own plan was worse. I mean, this it was a clown car. For the, for the attorney general's office, which is not too surprising given Leslie Rutledge. But in any case, it doesn't mean that uh, I think the judge really faces the lemon. He said he's going to write a long opinion. He said he hopes to get it out. I, probably not till early next week. So far it hasn't popped up yet, but uh, it's, it's going to be a test of his erudition to, to get to, to deliver this one the way he's expected to do as a Trump appointee. And which, by the way, there isn't much doubt that he got this appointment through the influence of Leslie Rutledge, his former boss, who is in tight with Donald Trump. There were some other Arkansas people, that is native Arkansas, who traditionally get these kind of judgeships, who got passed over. Some of them had some kind of messy personal situations that, that made them hard to appoint, but uh, he's there because of Leslie. So um, I don't expect him to give her the flaying that she deserves for this hash of a case she's made.
0: Well this was the the second uh high profile crash and burn by the AG's office after the the mass case. Uh they they right they, were, yeah. they didn't present any witnesses and had some some really screwy arguments. All right, yeah, well,
1: they 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 need, they need, they need Lee back. as Solicitor <laughs> general I think.
0: Uh, well, finally, and probably briefly, let's let's just make mention of the the National Republican Party voting to declare the events leading up to and uh, and and on the day of January sixth, legitimate political discourse, and and how, if at all, uh, Arkansas politicians reacted.
1: Well, there's been at least some a little bit of blowback and at least a day or so of coverage of this amazing Republican National Committee resolution that this was legitimate political discourse to crap on the floor of the Capitol and to kill police officers. Uh, I mean, Rona McDaniel tried to tried to spin this later, but it was a failed effort. Clearly, it's all these events are all part and parcel of what is now becoming ever clear, Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election by foul and illegal means. But uh, the local media doesn't, didn't seem too interested. I tried to get comments from the Republican National Committee members from Arkansas, John L. Fulmer, Jonathan Barnett, and mm-hmm. what's her name, Mindy and Mindy McElindon is new to the committee, and so she made the mistake of to me, which Republicans, Jim, the other ones didn't and uh said yes the the committee did indeed vote on that and she was that and she was there and so and and i said that she said that and she, but she wouldn't say specifically how she voted it was a voice vote and then she later complained before she blocked me on twitter that i misrepresented her because because i said she didn't say how she voted i i mean i i, I did i made the mistake of quoting her exactly every word she sent to me and illustrated it. And somehow that was misleading. Well, that gives you an idea of what Republicans are like. Finally, the Democrat Gazette's reporter got a comment from John Bozeman alone out of the congressional delegation on the resolution itself, in which Bozeman said, well, they shouldn't have censured Adam and Ken and Liz Cheney. That should be a state-level matter. He made no comments on the legitimate Political discourse thing or the right, and Rick Crawford issued a nothing burger statement in which he kind of said we just need to be looking forward these days. So essentially, the whole Republican delegation took a dive on it, and they're afraid of Donald Trump. One notable exception being Governor Hutchinson, who said forthrightly that that it was an affront to the rule of law, the resolution, and it was a terrible thing. And I mean, he, he he. it's a hundred percent score on this one. Uh, absolutely, a couple of three re- former Republicans or somewhat former Republicans, Davey Carter, the former House Speaker, Nate Bell, who was a state representative who's left the party, and then a bankruptcy trustee from Rogers did sign a letter that a national group has put together, decrying the resolution and, and saying this is a terrible thing. But you know, I think the real indication of where we are on this is that story's pretty well faded now, like they do, and 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 the echo chamber is is that the Republican the MAGA crowd is defending what happened at the Capitol January the sixth and and thought it was righteous. I mean, <clears throat> the uh, some of the defendants are backing away from their pleas and hoping, I guess, Trump will pardon them someday. Uh, Fox News has almost not mentioned any of the blowback, including Mitch McConnell's statement that this was terrible, and and certainly not all the new revelations about how Trump destroyed documents in the White House and took documents with him when he left. Uh, Instead, they've been spending the day spinning stories that, oh, Hillary may run for president in 2024. You know, whenever you got a problem, just try Hillary out another time. She's not running for president in 2024. I mean... And, and, and the notion that, that Hillary is so evil, remember Hillary's emails? I mean, what Trump has done with documents so eclipses in criminality, even, even a suspicion about what Hillary did. It's crazy, but it's just the Hillary rules and the Trump rules, and, that's, and, and and they play out in how the New York Times has covered the story. I'm sorry to say they really they look terrible on this, I think. But that's where we are.
0: All right. Well, I was
1: in the middle of it.
0: Let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have this week?
1: Uh, well, I've started watching this Showtime uh, documentary series by I think it's Kamal Bell. How the comedian says his name, I'm not sure. Uh-huh. That's how he says this, his yeah, first name. that's right. But uh, he's done a, a documentary series of Let's Talk About Bill Cosby, and and I've watched the first episode. And it's really great. It's, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's balanced. I mean, it, it reminds me of a lot I'd forgotten about Cosby's history of being America's dad, not just Black America's dad. And, and some truly estimable things he did in the interest of equity and equality, although, you know, he kind of protected himself and his image in ways that are interesting to look at, too. But, but Bell, Comes to the the crash and conclusion that that he indeed was a serial sexual predator and there's really i mean there's no way to sugarcoat that and so he's a complicated guy like a lot of people are and it's a complicated issue and he's and it's it's a hard issue for black people particularly because he was such a hero although he kind of got out there on changes in culture later in his life but anyway it's uh i recommend it it's it's an interesting look at a got a big figure.
0: Yeah, you know, uh Bill Cosby also put out some some pretty solid instrumental kind of jazz funk albums. Uh Badfoot Brown and the Bunyan's Bradford Funeral, I think is the one that I like. Um there's a, a long track that's a, a tribute to Martin Luther King that it's fantastic. Uh you know, it, when when artists who you love do something so reprehensible uh, that that kind of can you divide the art from the person is is always a struggle Uh, yeah it's kind
1: of the woody allen thing except even bigger really sure yeah and i i don't
0: know i I can i can uh i can leave woody allen behind i don't feel like i'm missing much but yeah
1: uh, no, I mean, I grew up with Fat Albert, you know, and I mean, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to feel bad about that because, and so many other things, I mean, he's gift, incredibly gifted guy, but, you know, it could be that part of his appeal helped him do this other really dark thing, you know,
0: so. Yeah. Uh, well, I, uh, I. Like the band Radiohead, but a lot of people of my generation just adore them and talk incessantly about them. And I've always, I've always uh, been wary of that. I think they're a fond band, but I don't quite get how they're so idolized. Um, but I really like this new music that two of the members, Johnny Greenwood and Tom York, are making with the drummer whose name I forget from Sons of Kemet, uh, the British. Jazz, sort of afro funk band. The new band's called The Smile. They only have two songs out, but they have a great kind of punk rock energy with some really interesting drumming that has that kind of afro beat bob to it. Uh, Sons of Kemet are also a a band that I've been digging lately. Uh, Really kind of experimental British jazz. So check those out. I'm excited for the, the record from The Smile to come out. You can find that on, uh, I, don't, I don't know, it's easy to find music these days. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back next week. See you later.